0: and welcome back to another edition of the three point my name is john gustin and joining me is eric black he's been on the show before he was on the inaugural or debut episode of the relaunch eric it's great to have you back thanks for having me john it's a pleasure now today we're going to be breaking down we're going to be going the next couple of weeks going kind of position by position on the pistons roster and disgusting uh not disgusting well Disgusting, and maybe sometimes there is a disgusting fit, but I really don't think so. There's nothing too bad that's sticking out this time of year for the Pistons. There's no crazy head-scratching signings. There's no ancient point guard on the roster that's just going to make you cry and and weep for uh, just praying for the season to end or praying for for something to end. And it's looking like a solid squad. It's not the craziest high-end potential, but I mean... It's not like the Pistons also had a ton of assets that they could use as well. So we're just going to jump right into it. Right now, the depth chart, as I'm seeing it, it's pretty straightforward. It's Reggie Jackson, Derrick Rose, Tim Frazier, and then a a split between Bruce Brown and Jordan Bone as your more emergency fourth option.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Um, I know there's people out there that sort of when Rose signed that, thought he might start over Reggie, but there's really no no incentive to do that. You might as well play out Reggie, especially if there's even a, uh, a smidgen of a chance that you might extend him next year, obviously. Um, and if you want to get good value for him, if you're looking to trade Reggie, obviously you don't want him on the bench. You want him playing at least 30 minutes a game. Um, I don't know. That's just kind of my opinion on that.
0: I, I think it's pretty straightforward, too, because... Reggie Jackson, uh, with the fit around the squad, you have multiple bigs. I mean, th- th- this is built around a two system lineup of bigs. Instead of it being Greg Monroe and Andre Drummond, it's Blake Griffin and Drummond, which is a little bit more talented pairing, in my opinion, especially if we're considering where Monroe is just in the modern NBA. Uh, I don't even think he's signed after kind of bouncing between a couple teams last year. He's unsigned. With Griffin and Drummond, Griffin does have an inside outside game. But, I mean, he still works best out of the low post. Drummond is your pick and roll forward. I mean, he, he's going to be hopefully a rim-running center that you, you want to see high effort and energy out of. With Jackson, the fit there is better, in my opinion, just because he's a more proven three-point shooter over Rose. Rose last year was sensational because everyone got really excited over his shooting percentage. But that was for, like, the first half of the season, if that – where Jackson has at least consistently shown he can hit a three-pointer with consistency.
1: Yeah, Rose last year, you know, 37% from from three, which is roughly about what Reggie shot last year. But for his career, I think Rose is somewhere around like a 30% three-point shooter. He's basically Russell Westbrook from the three-point line most of his life. Um, It's not really somebody... uh, And like you said, John, second half of last year, he shot 12% from three. Um, after he suffered his injury. So maybe you could say, you know, the injury really slowed him down, and obviously it did. Um, He only played, I think, what was it, 51 games last year. But is counting on Derrick Rose to make outside shots a good idea? I'm not so certain it is. Um, And Reggie last year, Reggie shot, like you said, like I said, around the same percentage. But in wins and losses, he was a completely different player. Um, When the Pistons won last year, Reggie shot 45.3% from the field and 44% from three. And when they lost, uh, not so good. He shot 39.5% from the field and 31% from three. Um, It's actually kind of weird. It's actually kind of the opposite for Derrick Rose. Last year when the T-Wolves won, he only shot 29% from three. And in losses, he actually shot 43% from three. So I'm not really sure what that means. I don't know if that means he. Well, he took a lot more shots and losses, so obviously he had to. He had to sort of create offense, you know. Um, other than Carl Towns, it's not like Minnesota has anyone else that um, can really create their own offense. What? And I suppose they're not a
0: two max player yeah. team. You're telling me Andrew Wiggins isn't a star that deserves a max contract <laughs> even before you see anything and that you know maybe signing a player to a max contract saying we know you're not a max player yet but you know just keep working on it while we hand you this money and you'll you'll prove us right that
1: that wasn't uh, uh, that's not a star oh, player there I mean I suppose you know uh, they were I wasn't it Minnesota basically like hey uh you're going to work on your skills right and he's like yeah sure uh whatever he, he got that money. I mean, he's paid like a max player, but honestly, at this point in his career, I think Derrick Rose is probably better at getting his own shot, even though Wiggins clearly is, has the athleticism, has the skill set um, to, to potentially be able to do it, but Derrick Rose actually makes it happen sometimes.
0: Um, I, I'm now actually on a weird mental tangent just, while we're talking about point guards and things like that, uh, who had a worse contract? Uh, Gilbert Arenas or Wiggins? And I think that, that's going to be interesting because I'd have to look to see what the salary cap was at that time. And I think mm-hmm. Arenas took up a larger chunk of the salary cap. But overall, value
1: wise, it might be Wiggins. I think it. I don't know. It was. Arenas was. Arenas showed offensive, you know, an offensive game that Wiggins, I mean, if Wiggins was even like 80% of what Gilbert Arenas was as an offensive player, he would. He wouldn't be this laugh. He wouldn't be this guy we all kind of joke. Yeah, it was about it was a six-year, you know? hundred
0: million dollars. So that's
1: like yeah, six. Well, yeah. I'm I just, think tying the salary to him for six years was the bad idea. Obviously, right? Yeah, it's sixteen I mean, million
0: dollars in cap over six years on average. But you know, I, I don't know. I mean, the salary cap has kind of doubled, so it might be kind of conflated. But still, if we're putting Andrew Wiggins in a, a arenas. Situation just with how far that went. Anyways, we're we're going off of random tangents with that, but you're right. Derek Rose did have to carry a bigger load as a scoring option uh, on uh, the T-Wolves because obviously Wiggins isn't that, and they they didn't have anybody else, and so that would be the only thing I could assume that could count for that that interesting correlation. I don't uh where if Rose is gonna be jacking up more shots. I think it would be in a loss because especially if it's a bigger deficit or things like that, they're just going to give him the green right. light. I don't necessarily think that that would equate over from one season to another in terms of, unless he's just such a rhythm shooter, but it's not like anybody has ever watched Derek Rose closely enough to say this is how his three point shooting works. Let me study it for a whole season because that's never been his game until last year, which is an outlier.
1: Exactly. Yeah. No, like I said, for most of his career at the three-point line I would say what it is encouraging at the very least is he shot 65% at the rim and He was really good for mid-range last year. Actually. He shot almost 50% from 10 to 16 feet Um, And he started to limit some of those uh, you know those long twos uh, those 16 footers to out to the three-point line he shot a lot less of those shots so At the very least, even if he's not giving you, you know, 37 percent from three at the very least, if he's not taking those long twos that, you know, he's not very efficient at anyway, um, I think that could that could, you know, he could do something. He could come close to to the 18 points a game he scored last year. I don't think the Pistons are going to necessarily need him to score that much, especially when you got Blake, um, you got Kennard, you got Drummond you got Reggie. That's a lot of scoring already, but off the bench last year, the Pistons really didn't have that scoring threat. As much as I like Ishmith as a player, um, he wasn't going to be able to – he didn't have the potential for a 50-point game. He barely had the potential for a 20-point game, a 25-point game.
0: He was a consistent Um, contributor, but you you definitely needed, if you've got a bench built around last year, Canard-ish, you you really needed one more scoring option – out
1: there with that right yeah you really needed somebody with rose to be able to take the load and actually lead the team on offense obviously he's not going to lead the team on defense so i mean he um, had a career year from three point range and we
0: all thought that was impossible why can't Derek rose you know after multiple knee injuries you know be an elite defender
1: that's 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 totally possible yeah Yeah, totally possible it's totally possible and you know another thing about Rose that I liked a lot when I looked him up, looked up his stuff from last year was he was amazing well, amazing is it's a bit of a stretch. But he was really great in the fourth quarter. He shot fifty one percent from the field. He shot forty percent from three. Now the three point percentage, um, he only shot forty two attempts in the fourth quarter, so it's hard to say that's gonna carry over. Like a lot of these three point numbers, he didn't he only shot about a hundred and forty three pointers last year. So that's not You know, Reggie Jackson made more than 143 pointers last year. So it's very possible he, you know, regresses back down to that closer to that 30, 33 percent sort of area. But he's really great in the fourth quarter. And honestly, I could see him ending a lot of games if that's. If he's going to be that kind of productive, maybe he starts the game on the bench. But if he's going to be that productive in the fourth quarter, then you might as well have him on the floor, maybe at the expense of a Canard or a, or a Bruce Brown, you know, especially if you need if you need buckets. Well, I would hope
0: that, but I think it'll be interesting to see how he's used because Casey, we all know, values defense drastically mm-hmm. um, above almost anything else, to to the detriment of where a net rating is sacrificed of. Great, this guy's going to defend at a 99 level, but we're also only scoring at a 98 level. And maybe you know, if we had you know, a, a, you know, you're sacrificing a few points in defense, but your efficiency is so much better in offense. That'll be the interesting thing, and that's kind of where I lean towards giving Canard minutes over Brown. Is just because the three point shooting and it complements things, and you can work on the defense, and and you can have the rotations out there, but Rose has played on and off ball and it'll be interesting to see is it how he's used as a combo guard and i don't think you necessarily want to have jackson and rose on the court at the same time i do think it's possible and i do think it is a better fit than ish smith and reggie jackson just because ish can't play off ball because he couldn't really shoot and brown doesn't play off ball because he can't shoot but he can defend his butt off but he's basically an Andre Roberson if he's not having the ball in his hand, as we've seen with Summer League, where he, he can really pass. So that'll be interesting, too, to see how that unlocks. Rose, he can do everything, and he can attack the basket, you give him the ball, you dump it off, you could have Rose attack, kick it back out to Jackson, I mean, maybe even Rose can shoot it, and three-point shots are something that develop as you get older in the NBA. That That is one thing that, you know, it's a skill that can be developed, and it's not overly reliant on athleticism because it's uh, more stationary unless you're Kyle Korver. But I mean, Kyle Korver is one of the older players in the NBA and he's still able to to hit an amazing amount through, you know, sheer hustle and running through screens as well. So I think that there is going to be some potential there. You could see, I think a Bruce Brown, Derek Rose lineup, I think is a very fascinating fit just because they overlap each other's weaknesses. So well, Rose can really be your scorer, and as a combo guard and Bruce Brown can really be a passer with defense to uh, protect Rose there so I think that's where I'm seeing a lot of interest in like a second unit having those two guys together just because you know Kennard's also a solid uh, he's an okay defender if that but you know him and Rose together might not be great but they're also going against a second unit there I think there's a lot of interesting combinations of how these guys can be used together
1: yeah, I think you're right about that. Last year Brown he started 50 games um mostly because well obviously mostly because of his defense. He was um as you can tell from his summer league performance he was wasn't a very good shooter. Um he only hit 2 of his 10 attempts in summer league, but he led the summer league in assists and he led the Pistons in scoring. So, I don't know. Bruce Brown as a second um as kind of that guy who maybe plays like 20, 24 minutes a game, he probably starts. Um, Kennard just right now, at least he hasn't proven yet that he can be a reliable defender. And as, we, as you mentioned earlier, that's something that Casey really values uh, in his starting lineup. And, I mean, to his credit, you know, when the Pistons have been good historically, it's not because they have this high-powered offense that is scoring all kinds of points all across the you know, all over the place. It's because they've been, you know, great, um, sometimes all-time great defensively. Bruce Brown gives you that sort of, um, you know, he doesn't have the shot, but he definitely gives you the defensive versatility that allows you to be able to play Derrick Rose with him. And, and I actually like what you brought up. Derrick Rose and Bruce Brown being on the court at the same time. Bruce being able to sort of be that facilitator. Rose still being able to be the primary ball hand earlier. Uh, handler, if you need be, um, but not necessarily a must. Um, adding a dimension to the Pistons' offense, which was sorely needed last year, I think. Um, I, I as far as people like like Tim Frazier, honestly, at this point, um, I'm not sure Tim Frazier um, is somebody that we can necessarily rely on. I'd like to see Bruce Brown play more point guard necessarily. If Tim Frazier has to play. As, uh, as an emergency option. Um, but I'd like to see Bruce Brown play the point a lot more um, in the regular season. I think that would be really interesting.
0: Well, I think it, it works out to kind of, you, you see guys who get in a role off the bench, and even if someone's injured, they come off the bench just to have the rotation work smoothly. And I think Frazier works along the lines of, if you need a reliable three-point shooting point guard, who can also manage an offense, he's a solid player. And I think it'll just kind of depend on the lineup because if you're going to tell me we're going to have a lineup of like Thon Maker, Markeith Morris, Bruce Brown, um, and Siaku, Seku, uh, I think I'd rather probably have Frazier just at the point just because the, the trick with this business team is there are guys who can hit shots, but there mm-hmm. aren't a ton of guys who can reliably hit a shot. So like Thon and Markeith have the ability to stretch the floor, but aren't a consistent three-point shooter. Uh, Derek Rose is a giant question mark just because he could be an anomaly from last year. And so, I mean, if we're just looking at it, you've got Reggie Jackson, Luke Kennard, Blake Griffin, and, and then that's that's kind of that's it. Kind Tony of it. Snell. Tony yeah. Snell, sorry. Tony Snell, but t- Tony Snell's also going to be limited minutes too. So you've got four guys who can hit a shot, and really in an NBA, modern NBA, you should have at least three or four guys on the floor at one time to hit a shot just in order to have the spacing work out, and especially if you've got a guy like Drummond, you need to have space for him to really work, because there's, there's no reason to say, say, hey, Drummond is an incredible rebounder uh, let's let him overcome issues and difficulties because of uh, roster issues, I say that I think that you should utilize what you can, because Drummond one-on-one should be able to crush anybody on a board and I think that that would be a matchup that I would want to see and exploit as often as possible. So I think that's where kind of Frazier comes in here. Because also I think too when they signed Frazier, Bruce Brown, they were going to run him at point guard, and uh, but they didn't see any results yet. So I think he's a really good break in case of emergency because Brown he's shown mm-hmm. potential, but we also know that uh, a summer league from Austin Day and Stanley Johnson being MVPs basically in summer league. It doesn't always translate over for whatever reason to the regular season. So I think, Frazier, he's proven that he can play rotation minutes on an NBA level and being a solid contributor and a three-point shooter. I think that's all you can ask for because, I mean, that's a step up from what we got last year from G League signings or Jameer Nelson. Uh, It's somebody who's not, you know, 38 years old and signing up for AARP as a point guard. I'll take it, especially just because Brown, I think there's a lot of potential there he's still young and very developing and raw on that skill set, And the other question too, is he did well with scoring, but last year his finishing was also highly inconsistent. Like you see Brown, he drive, he'd go for a layup or a dunk and the most memorable moments are him blowing it. So I I wonder how much confidence can impact that. So yeah, I think, I think Frazier is your solid signing, especially just because it's not bad to have a third true option at point guard. Uh, Considering the injury history of both Jackson and,
1: and Rose. Fair enough. Yeah. And honestly, they the Pistons need a lot of wing help. Bruce Brown more than likely needs to play at least the 2, um, maybe the 3 next to to Kennard Um, so it maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself with Bruce Brown at point guard obviously. Um, one thing I do want to see from Brown I want to see him improve on corner threes. Uh, He only shot 35% from corner threes last year, which isn't that great, and 28% overall from three. But like we've been talking about, Brown is a significant upgrade uh, defensively, especially over somebody what we had last year, Reggie Bullock. Um, At this point, got to be pretty glad that we we pivoted from Bullock and went to Brown, um, especially with the news now that Reggie Bullock had surgery on his back. Um, he ended up taking a reduced deal, actually, with the Knicks, drastically um, because reduced of the, deal, because of the injury. Yeah, it
0: was. Um, it's now what down from was it? Was it like a two-year, fourteen million dollar deal, something along I think it's those like lines? Eight million now. And it's it's now. I think it's it's even. I I read one report. It was two years, four million. Like it's, okay, yeah, it, it seemed to be a drastic cutback. And I liked yeah. Bulks' defense. I thought he was a solid player just due to his length and his switchability. I never thought he was a real stopper, but I I thought, you know, if you've got multiple good three-point shooters and just solid defenders, you can make Mm -hmm. it work. Um, Yeah. But yeah, just considering the dude has had health issues with, you know, he had the meniscus injury and some other stuff, and then now he's a herniated disc. Yeah, I would have liked Bullock in an ideal world where if he stayed healthy and he would have been retainable and affordable, but obviously... It, it doesn't. Well, it doesn't would have been make sense affordable in, at right this now. point, but not exactly. Well, uh, not in in the way you'd yeah. want it. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah, but for Brown, I would just say that when the when the Pistons round when Brown was on the court, Pistons had an, a defensive rating of one hundred seven point eight, and when he was off the court, the team had a defensive rating of one hundred eleven point two. So Brown he definitely makes an impact on the defensive end. He's probably going to end up starting because Casey loves the defense. Um... And I don't see really any problem with that. I know I, w- I would like to see Kennard play more minutes, obviously. Um, and that's something he's going to be able to earn throughout the season. Uh, they're not just going to, you know, give up on Kennard early on. They seem to like him a lot. Um, so and 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 really, he, to me, he's the most credible shooter on the team, at least as of right now. Um, so I don't know. We'll see how that progresses throughout the year, whether or not Kennard breaks the starting lineup. Um, there's odds are there will be injuries somewhere so we'll see how that goes really um,
0: I mean my, my argument for uh, Kennard over brown is that so brown had a 110 defensive rating or net rating and canard had a 112 but the mm-hmm. points per uh, points per 100 it was 100 offensive rating and 110 defensive rating with brown on the court and it was 110 mm-hmm. versus 112 with Kennard on the court so that that's where I say that you're you know you're sacrificing just a little bit there on defense for your offense, and that's where I think uh, yeah. that comes into play. And I think too, I mean, the starting unit last year with the Pistons just initially as constructed, I think didn't do a lot of favors with people. If you've got you know Stanley Johnson out there getting major minutes, and Stanley Johnson and Bruce Brown sharing the court at the same time, it's that that's lethal. That that's a toxic situation for anybody to be in for their plus
1: minus rating. That's true, especially if you're, you know, for your offensive rating, because Stanley Johnson hasn't proven himself to be a consistent enough offensive player in this league to be a starter. Um, and they got a lot better um, on offense when they brought in Wayne Ellington um, at the deadline. So i i I'd, I'd like to uh, see a full season from Kennard as, you know, somebody who's featured quite a bit um I think he has the potential to be as good as Wayne Ellington um at the very least and probably better um but some a J.J. Redick type wouldn't be the worst thing in the world that would be really helpful for this kind of team Luke also has to be a little more aggressive um I've seen some some tape of Luke last year where he's just passing up open shots in the corner yeah, there was um, just a just picture up put a lot up by Les Jackson sense.
0: that it, it's it's Luke. It looks like he's about to go up for a shot, like he's in the position, and it's he did not shoot the shot on this possession. You're absolutely right.
1: Yeah, and that's that's something you know when you were, when you play with a on a team that has legitimate star power now with Griffin Drummond Reggie Jackson, maybe not a star, but somebody who's been entrenched in the league for a long time, and. Uh, for somebody like Luke Kennard it can be kind of tough to feel like where where do i fit in here when do i take the shots you know and i think that's something that the the vets are going to be able to to teach him a little better is say hey you know when you got a shot you need to take it you're good enough you're going to make those shots more often than not that kind of confidence boost for him i think is going to be really huge you know he's going into his third year in the league now he needs to take Shots more consistently, and he needs to be a bigger part of the offense if this team is going to maximize what, uh, what potential it does have. Obviously, the Pistons came, this year didn't have if any cap space. They didn't have too much room to sign too many people. They got Rose. They got Markeith Morris. Um, but otherwise, their main source of improvement is going to have to come from within, from internal developments, from players just getting better. Um, I think Kennard is the guy who could take the biggest leap out of all the prospects we have now, whether it be Kyrie Thomas or Bruce Brown. I think Kennard is the one in position to make the biggest leap to be able to have an impact, especially on the offensive end.
0: No, I I completely agree. He only averaged uh, four three-pointers a game last year, uh, 9.7 points per game he's a dude where you can easily see him getting 15, 16. I I mean, 14 to 15 seems about reasonable for him. And I think it just comes down to just let it fly. I mean, he made 39% of his threes as a second year player. He made 40% as a first year player. Uh, He, he jumped up and had about 70 more shots. I think he should, you know, probably be one of the lead leaguers league leaders in three point shooting just because of his ability. I mean, even if it's, you know, 39%, that's still way, way more efficient than almost any other shot the Pistons can get from anybody else. If he's got a shot, he's on the three-point line, a defender's not directly in his face. He needs to just let it fly, and I think I'm hoping this year maybe with just Rose able to apply some pressure, uh, healthy Jackson, and, and maybe one more year of confidence that Cunard will be more aggressive, because I think that was one thing we saw last year too when he would kind of go back and forth between the first and the second unit You'd see that maybe he, he wouldn't really shoot it when he was on the first unit, but the second unit, he'd be a little bit more assertive. And I think he was trying not to take shots away from guys like Kennard and Jackson and things like that. But if you're an efficient guy, just do it. And I think you're right that hopefully the, the coaching up will just say, you're out there, hit the shot. And you also have uh, swapping out Ellington and... Uh, Johnson, if we're just talking about guys who would maybe be eating up other shots, Snell's not the same level of player. He's not going to be taking that many attempts compared to Ellington, which, yay, you want him taking all those attempts, and Johnson, which is just, you get maybe one out of every eight, one out of every ten games where you'd go broken. Stanley Johnson, look at that, he's going to delete you off the Matt Hardy, TNA, WWE, whatever bit that was. (laughs) Um, And so if you don't have a guy just recklessly charging where it's not going to be a good shot, uh, there, there's no more usage. You've got Drummond who really isn't doing anything else or shouldn't be. I really, really hope the the hook shots are out of his game at this point. If Drummond's just your put-back dunker. Uh, one, one dribble, go in, attack. Griffin, Jackson. Kennard should be the third option on offense with this team. He should be.
1: and I And I think especially once the team addresses the future at point guard, we're going to know a lot more about how, how big of a role that Kennard's going to have because you know right now Reggie Jackson is the 16th highest paid point guard so he's you know about what we think right in the middle or so about the starting tier point guards um, what we think as Pistons fans not necessarily national
0: consensus because sure. some of those ranking he's, articles you get out there and are like what what are you talking about you like you've got Dennis Schroeder like did you see Dennis Schroeder last year in OKC and his three-point percentage and then I don't know some nationalists get weird like I think Matt Stafford's rated as like a well, 78 a 79 in Madden like weird things happen with I Detroit players yeah, like ridiculous. I think Detroit is like a black hole yeah. for talent like if Stafford's any with the Jets he's like an 85 easily if you've got you know Jackson somewhere else besides Detroit he you know He'd probably be that 60 player okay. we think he is. But in Detroit, you know, he's number good. 30, number 40. And you're just kind of like, really? I, You mentioned you looked at different free agents and things like that. With this fit and squad, I'd rather have Jackson over Ricky Rubio, who just got paid uh, uh, quite the amount by the Suns to be a ball-dominant point guard who can't shoot. So then that way, you know, you have your shooting guard uh, who is getting also max money, not take shots.
1: Well, uh, yeah, Rubio signed for three years, 51. That's in, roughly in line with what Reggie makes this year. He makes Reggie makes 18 uh, this season and Rubio's average annual value is about 17. Um, Ricky Rubio does provide a lot of value on the defensive end. He's been a good player for a long time, despite his shooting woes. Um, but I don't know for Phoenix. They kind of needed to overpay. They needed a point guard. They hadn't had one. Uh, a competent one, and really they don't foresee Devin Booker to be a point guard, apparently. So um, signing, I guess it made sense. I Although I would say the more uh, egregious, I'd say, point guard signing was Charlotte with Terry Rozier. Uh, three years, $58 million, actually making more than Reggie Jackson now. Uh, Terry Rozier has never shot more than 40% from the field. So I'm not really sure... How that gets you next to twenty almost twenty million dollars a season. I would say right now I would certainly like to have Reggie Jackson more than Terry Rozier. And um, also
0: want Max Kemba yeah. Walker and instead of Terry Rozier. I mean that that's the weird thing is I get Charlotte wanting to move on from a tax um and, and, and like you know that team's not gonna be competitive, so why are you paying a supermax exactly. and why are you gonna pay a luxury tax? Right. But you know, if they ate it for one year, a lot of those contracts are off the books. And then you also, if you're not anyway, they should have just moved him. It just there was a great NBA Reddit post of just all the different ways that Charlotte has failed as a franchise in terms of mm-hmm. you know not drafting Clay Thompson when they could have, uh, or, you know, picking up guys like Bismack Biamo instead of Kawhi Leonard, uh, different drafts I think. But basically uh, missing on Pascal Siakam. You look at all the different shots that they could have had and all the different ways they've blown everything. And you feel a little bit better as a Detroit fan. You're like, you know, there's two different championship runs. There's two different squads. There's some young talent on this team. It's not a luxury. Attacks hell, and you know the Pistons. Their cap issues. They've never had to be paying an excessive amount for mediocre talent. That's all gone now. It's it, everything's kind of situated uh, for a decent. Well, we choice did that either about way ten years ago,
1: but now we're out of that. Right, so. but at least there was a championship in there yeah. too. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that Gordon and Villanueva contract, I don't think you could say we didn't pay a lot of money for a lot of... No, FBI. no, no,
0: but, the, the, but. There, there's highs and lows and in it it, it. it kind of swings right. between it. With Charlotte, it's all With just Sh- lows. Charlotte's all been Especially, lows. Especially, yeah, Terry Rozier, you're looking at him, and you're like, okay, I could see you know you taking a flyer on a guy and wanting to spend some money looking at him as, you know, maybe a future point guard who can do something with you if everything breaks the right way. Like, you've seen Scary Terry. I mean, there's there's a name out there that's fun. But it's never been consistently proven. So I'm not going to pay a max guy to, uh, to approve an all-star in Kemba, but I'm going to go spend $20 million on a guy who is one of the worst point guards, on average, unless he's in the playoffs. And I don't think Charlotte's volume, getting to the playoffs.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. I, I thought it was really weird what Charlotte did, but... uh. I'd say we take this into their calculus about why they didn't trade Kemba Walker. Um, already, they had the All Star Game last year in Charlotte. Trading Kemba Walker before the All Star Game to them was not an option. They could not, especially if they had already had didn't they already have the All Star Game taken away from them because of the uh, the bathroom bill I believe in in North Carolina. Well, and so, so, so and then it went back, so, and so that's one thing that
0: there was right. out there of hey that we're not trading Kemba Walker because we're going to have the All-Star game now in Charlotte. And that to me is insane. Like
1: Well, it's yeah. Like it's like no, no, like
0: okay, we're going to host this game, so we're not going to trade Kemba Walker. Like we've seen what superstars can go for. I mean, and I think it's also an exception right now with, you know, all the draft picks flying around because both teams were were bent over a barrel. The Lakers had to pay up because you had to get Davis and that that's what the price can be for Davis. And Paul George, it was a Paul George and Kwai Leonard. Like those draft picks ensured you got both guys. So, but you can still get multiple first round picks, get out of luxury tax. You could probably attach, you know, a toxic contract too. There's no reason why he should have not been moved. And also, we're going off the ranking right now. Um, Ranker has Dennis Schroeder. Ranker, I think, is a fan vote, but just perception Mm -hmm. based. Dennis Schroeder's at number 21. Lou Williams off the benches at 22. Trey Young's at 23. Jackson's at 24. Rozier at 25, mm-hmm. Dennis Smith at 26. So Dennis Smith, Terry Rozier, and uh, Dennis Schroeder are, are all perceived to be around the same spot as Jackson, which to me right. is a little little crazy, but also maybe you're counting in availability. I mean, if Jackson's only there for 40 games, sure, I could see where you say that, but I would definitely take Jackson over all those guys. Oh, I would for sure. And then other guys I too actually, that are on that yeah. list, oh, Jeff ahead. Teague, D'Angelo Russell, uh-huh. Ricky yep. Rubio, De'Aaron Fox, Goran Dragic, Rajon Ronda Oh gosh, that's really bad. Isaiah Thomas. I don't know when this was made, uh, but this is really yeah made. I think it's just overall perception So it's it's some of those votes are built up a lot, but you know there, there's there's guys there that aren't going to perform. I mean, well,
1: Goran Dragic right, is in a worse right.
0: situation with his knees than Jackson, even though I like him as a player. Mm-hmm. Rubio can't space the floor for you. Jeff Teague I, looks more washed than Jackson right now. I mean, I think Detroit's okay from a starting point guard situation if health is all right.
1: Well, yeah, and I just kind of want to compare, like, the other free agent signings at the point guard position. And honestly, I'll be I'll be real. I, I said on this podcast, I, I did not want the Pistons to sign Derrick Rose. Um, I was against it. Um, I didn't think Derrick Rose was... You know, I thought we were going to be paying for the value that Minnesota got last year. I didn't, you know, I don't really necessarily believe that Rose is going to is going to, you know, replicate a lot of the success that he had last year. But let's just consider this. You know, we signed Rose for two years, 15 million dollars. Uh, I think both years are guaranteed. There's no player option, I don't believe. So we got Rose for t- on two years, 15 million dollars. Is that is Rose at this point in his career that much worse than like George Hill or Ricky Rubio, even for that matter? Um, Corey Joseph got three years, thirty-seven million dollars. Tyus Jones got three years, twenty-six million dollars. And and I think the one that really sort of kind of puts the Rose signing in perspective is Alfred Payton to the Knicks for two years, sixteen million dollars. You know, if Alfred. I mean, Payton that's also the Knicks. Not, so
0: let's, let's let's be fair to everybody right. in the league. I don't think anybody else is paying that much to Alfred Payton besides the Knicks.
1: That's fair. <laughs> so maybe that's just the Knicks. No, problem, I do like Alfred Payton. He's making more money than Derrick Rose. Like that's. I mean, less, I like Alfred wow, Payton, money. but if
0: I have to it's look off fatality. of last
1: year's performance, I'm taking mm-hmm. Derrick Rose. Right. Of course. Well, because Payton just has zero offensive game at this point. He he. But even somebody like. Somebody like Seth Curry. You know, well, Seth yeah, Curry that's, that's went to Dallas for four years, $32 million.
0: Th- that, okay. Obviously. Yeah, Dallas made some weird moves of, hey, we're going to dump Harrison Barnes for cap space and our right. big sign. We, we signed Boban and Seth Curry. Like, they they really. And, and Porzingis,
1: I guess. Well, yeah. yeah.
0: but they didn't need to move Harrison Barnes for Porzingis. Right. Like, they tried right. to open up Max Cap Space and they didn't do anything with it. Like, even Not like, really. uh, you know, uh, uh, a boat. Uh, Bogdanovich down in Dallas or you know just signing somebody along those lines and I think Harrison Barnes wouldn't be a perfect fit and the value so that's interesting but Dallas kind of kicked the can down for two years which they can because they have a young core so
1: that works all right for them yeah but yeah and that's why why I liked what the Pistons did this this summer because they they didn't do that at all they gave people short-term contracts at fair prices, you're not overpaying for anybody. Markeith at 3.6 is is pretty good value. You know, even Derek Rose, for what I'm seeing on the open market this year, two years, $15 million is pretty decent value. And you're really not setting yourself up for much, you know, cap. Uh, you're you're going to be able to either trade those guys or wait till they expire and be able to use that cap space that they open up um, once that 21-22 summer comes around. Um, and all they have is probably Drummond and Blake Griffin on the books right
0: and, and that's that'll be an interesting thing so I think we'll go two parts here because this does impact cap space directly and we're this is a, the pseudo point guard podcast one guy who would completely nuke cap space well, well there's two guys who would nuke cap space but one of them is not viable especially if you in any way consider the feelings of your best player which is Blake Griffin so Chris Ball in no way should be coming to Detroit like I think if it was anybody else like with a different name but Chris Paul, I would maybe think on it if it was you're getting him for bad contracts but with that said the the background and there's a supposedly a very negative relationship between Chris Paul and Blake Griffin in no way should right. he be coming here, especially with his age injury, history, and contract. The other one mm. that was up for discussion was should Detroit have traded for Russell Westbrook? and said he was flipped. Uh, Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook were swapped. But it, with that, OKC sent out two future first-round picks and two future swaps. That seems to me like it was a combination of maybe you say Westbrook is worth a future first and maybe a swap. And then you say getting off Chris Paul's contract is also worth a first. Is maybe how I'd value that. So if we're looking at Westbrook contract, the other discussion was that Miami was looking at him for spare parts. Detroit, mm-hmm. I think, would have to give up a young player and spare parts for Westbrook and probably a pick, maybe two picks, something along those lines.
1: Yeah. How just do you to make feel about this? How, yeah, yeah.
0: How do you feel about this trade? Are you glad Detroit did not jump in there? Or do you think That's... that Detroit should have maybe looked to see if they could have got Westbrook?
1: No, absolutely. I'm so glad that Detroit right. did decided not to go quote all in or the I wrote about this for pistons powered uh, piston powered, but essentially the rationale behind the Westbrook trade was why not and i i don't understand how people miss, are missing the why not Westbrook com, i don't see how in the modern NBA com, uh, pairing Drummond and west and, and and Blake Griffin with a guy. Who's by volume the worst probably the worst three point shooter in the history of the sport, um, is a good idea. I need or is to something now compare it to Josh because well, 'cause I'm really curious. What's that? I need to now compare his shooting to Josh Smith. Oh, it's 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 bad. Russell takes a lot of threes and doesn't and he makes them at about a thirty percent clip, maybe about twenty nine percent. Yeah, no, it's year. it's not good. It's not good. No, it's it's really bad, especially considering his position. Like normally, point guards are the team are the guys on your team that can actually shoot three pointers uh, at a reasonable rate. Um, Russell does not do that. Um, you are then stuck with four years, one hundred and seventy million, um, which, as you can tell, that the value of that was essentially Chris Paul, a guy who is a little bit older, still a good player, obviously, but then you got to give up essentially four first round picks I I really just don't understand no, okay. that deal I, I would say it's not
0: four first round picks it's two picks well, it's the pick and swaps two swaps too. and also if yeah. you're thinking we're OKC um, and I mean they're, they're also way out there but let's say they're both competitive teams I don't think the pick swaps are nearly going to be an issue if both teams if we say Maury continues to just be a wizard with the the heat somehow and or, not the heat the Rockets, the Houston Rockets. Rockets, yeah, and OKC, they have enough assets now because they own all the future first-round picks for every draft. They should also be a good team. So I think the pick swaps not really a danger. the The first-round picks, yeah, but did, like, wh- where's a fir- really where's a late first-round pick worth? And I think that's kind of where it comes down to is that it's an argument of where do you view a late first, like because a guy for the most part. Maybe you could get a good player in the high twenties. Maybe. If you get a, drafting a guy around thirty, most likely you can find someone on the replacement for a mid level, if that. And so I think that's where you could say it's like look, I can wheel and deal, I can buy second round picks if I need a body in there. You can mm-hmm. hit on a second round pick maybe just as well as you can as a late twenties. That seems to me like an interesting prospect
1: is, I, is how, agree, how do you value
0: picks? And I think that's really what it comes down to. And uh, where does it come to for Detroit? And uh, with the team that's, you know, got salary implications, you need as much cheap talent as you can get and to develop, and you're just trying to maximize it. If you are a team that is competing now or for the next couple of years, you don't have time to bet saying, I don't know what this guy can actually do at any level. I'm taking up a roster spot. I'm taking up a couple million dollars that I could, you know, put towards... A minimum, and pick up a guy like Austin Rivers or things like that, who would be able to contribute more now. And so, I think that's the thing. And two, uh, we've seen it with Brooklyn, where I've been kind of pushing for like I think actually Brooklyn they didn't actually screw themselves over as much as we've seen maybe with these other picks, where Lakers they're trading out all their picks. LeBron's gonna get old really quickly. It, it, mm-hmm. It's you know he's only got what one more year on his contract after this. He might decide to retire, be Dwayne Wade, and like, look, I'm going to compete until I can't compete at my high level, and then I'm out. And then you just have Anthony Davis, and it's the Pelicans all over again. Whereas the Nets, they were able to go all in, compete really, really hard, and then they went all out and got back all their assets quite easily by taking on toxic
1: contracts and making smart moves. Isn't that great, too, that the Nets are probably going to compete for titles before the Celtics do I just think that's great yes if we're just giving NBA conversation some Celtics slander
0: I I just don't like what Danny Ainge has done with you know hey Horford opt out or or you know things like that or IT we're not going to take care of you and it's just I understand it from a business perspective but Everybody's been talking so long for Boston. Boston has all these assets. They have all these assets. And the best thing Boston has done has been Scary Terry going off in the playoffs and IT going off in the playoffs. They've not done, you know, Anthony Davis isn't an option. Trading for Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. None of those things have gone through. And at some point, I think you just have a bunch of assets and it doesn't do
1: anything. Well, right, it's like yeah, you can have all these draft picks from the Nets and I'm sure the Nets wish they had been able to pick, you know, during that time, but it's like when are you going to cash in? Uh, you know, they theoretically that team, they could have had Kawhi Leonard last year if they just gotten rid of Jason Tatum. Like it could have happened. They could have absolutely made that trade. I think Boston suffers from what a lot of fans suffer from unfortunately, which is the tr- like oh we have all these assets we like them so much we we value them more than anyone else and don't even realize that no one else like like yeah Jason Tatum's really good but if you don't trade him before people start to get the book on him start to realize that he's, you know maybe not going to be the next Kobe Bryant um he's not gonna he 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 might might be more the next Tobias Harris right he might be just fine but people don't people think right now that he's really good so you got to Maximize that while you can for me, Boston just tried to do this thing where they were setting themselves up for the future and for right now. And it's kind of like that old adage about quarterbacks. You know, if you have two, you have none. You end up you wind up in this scenario where you don't really feel like, um, you know, you can. You got to pick one or the other a lot of times, you know, the Clippers just decided, hey, we're going to go for it. We got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. We'll trade whatever we have to do to get those guys. And then once we get those guys, we're going to win. It doesn't matter. You know, we're going to be fine. And there's another Boston, interesting
0: angle, too, with, um, you know, future picks. I mean, within the next couple of years, you're also going to have high school players being able to come in, too, which is going to now add, in theory, more talent into a draft. So you might be able to hit on guys later
1: on. Right. But it, it's as far as I'm concerned, you know, you need to you need to hit on guys that are good right now. You know, like... Draft picks are nice. For the Pistons, they're necessary because they're not free. They're, no one's going to come to free agency. It's often hard to trade for a star that wants to come to Detroit. I get that. Boston, at the very least, has the championship pedigree. They've done it before. Um, a lot, too. So I just don't understand this strategy of them trying to be like they're essentially like trying to be the Tampa Bay Rays or whatever they're called now. Um, you know, um, they're essentially trying to be this like. Upstart essentially a franchise and don't realize that no, this is the team that traded for KG and, and Ray Allen like Maybe necessarily they didn't want to come to Boston initially, but then they won championship so Like you kind of have to like they, they took that risk with Kyrie Irving because they didn't they got the better end of that deal What Boston doesn't do is they don't give up more than they're getting That's something that they clearly value. They clearly value swindling other teams in these trades but then don't even realize that they're just kind of playing themselves. You know, they yeah, keep it getting com- these there comes low to a spades. point
0: where you can't say it's like it's, um, it's human nature to be risk adverse. There is also uh, you're saying, uh, you know, I'm going to give you 10 dollars now, and I'm going to say, if you bet five dollars, you've got a chance to win 50 dollars. you've got a 50 percent chance to win 50 dollars seems like a decent investment. A lot of people would just take the $10 and go home in terms of just, and for applying that here, it's I've got my assets. I like my assets. I'm okay with what I have. I'm worried about losing out on the potential. So I'm not going to, I know what I have is safe and guaranteed. I'm not going to trade it. And I think this does kind of loop back around to the Pistons, where I think Westbrook is not the right fit. Because of all sorts of different issues. But I think if anybody can fix him. It's Daryl Morey. But the Pistons. Need to go all in. Or all out. I think if you've got talent right now. And we're saying Blake Griffin is an all-star talent. Drummond is a borderline all-star. But you know let's slowly. You know kind of just build some assets for the future. And just go from here. Right now I've seen enough first round picks. Fly around the league. Where I don't think it's that valuable in terms of go get your third all-star and i think detroit should do that at right. some point i don't think it's going to be bradley beal but i think detroit either needs to go get its third all-star not westbrook not beal just because everyone else is going to buy for bill but go find your third all-star and really try this as a big three because you've only got so many years left of griffin being able to be a good player if that yeah do something well, with him or trade him. And I think that comes down to, you know, your the point guard discussion, too, of the, the most obvious position that Detroit could really upgrade and where there is a decent amount of is that point guard. And so I think Detroit needs to kind of find, do we find an older point guard who's an all-star that not named Chris Paul? Do we bet on somebody a bit younger and have to overpay a little bit? Because I think if Detroit moves out draft picks, as long as they're not being Ben Gordon again and say, hey, look, we're just going to strap a first-round pick to get rid of a contract, like if they do the opposite of that, I think Detroit right. needs to you know, go all in, spend a couple picks. I say two picks, maybe one nice young player. I think our seconds can actually help with that because we've made so many moves around the edges where they can be now value assets where you can sell another team on it. And go get your third guy. Be... Or else, it, 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 like we need to start the rebuild now and Griffin can go off to Utah and win a championship.
1: Well, I think, you know, for the Pistons, it's really tough to just tank. It's really hard for a team that, it, you know, already, you know, attendance is already as low as it is. It's among the lowest in the league. The interest for this team is just, like, I don't know if it's there. I don't know if people are going to be willing to especially now with like the draft lottery, like we saw last year with the Pelicans, what they have like the seventh or eighth best odds. And then they ended up winning the lottery. I just, I don't really necessarily, I think the NBA has some decisions to make in the future about tanking and how they want to go about, you know, fixing that. I, I don't think that this new flattened odds of the lottery actually incentivizes teams to be better. I, um, but I think it also gives teams like t- Detroit some hope, like, hey, if we don't, if we're like the eighth worst team or if we're like the ninth or 10th worst team, at the very least, we have a good shot at uh, getting a good draft pick like the Lakers, like the Pelicans did uh, this year. It, it, to me, I, I understand the, the the impulse, I guess, to sort of um, want to tank. For Philly, though, I mean, we'll just let's just look at the teams that have fast, uh, you know, have tanked recently. Philadelphia is a nice team. Is do do, do any of us think that Philadelphia is going to win the title anytime soon? Because I don't, I don't like their roster construction. I don't like Horford on that team at all. I, I think, think it's he's a really, really good interesting player. if it's I, think, I think it's, think it's, it's designed be valuable, as a Giannis I just goal? don't understand the fit there. I just you're already uh, a top-heavy team. Essentially, Ben Ben Simmons is essentially a six ten point guard. Now you're bringing in like another center um, to make a lot of money and to play big minutes. I just I'm not really sure who's going to take the last shot there. Is it going to be Josh Richardson? Is it going to be Ben <laughs> Simmons? It's sure it's not going to be Ben. It's Simmons. It's going to be Tobias Harris. Uh,
0: that really it, it's right. an interesting yeah. construction and, of they've got what four forwards kind of on the roster and yeah. uh, Josh Richardson. Well,
1: and, and speaking of. Tobias Harris, like, clearly the Pistons won that trade. The Pistons traded Tobias Harris, Bobon, and Avery Bradley. Bobon is not a guy who can do anything for you, really defensively. Tobias no, Harris he can, get years, can get blocks. And, and, Boban can get blocks.
0: Bobon can get blocks and body out of traditional center. Sure. I will give him that.
1: Yeah. He, 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 but he can't stay on the floor for very long. He's not a starter, he's not somebody who you're going to probably start at center at any point. Um, he's, I think he's almost already 29, 30 years old. But Tobias making more money than Blake Griffin right now, Tobias Harris is not a more productive player than Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin is a much better player than Tobias Harris. And th-
0: that came down to supply and demand. Of We have a large supply of cap space. We have a very, right. very large supply of cap space that then devalues it across the league because so many teams had a lot of money open for this year because uh, this was you know, a lot of teams had moved around their bad contracts from 2016. They've they made a lot of moves. They've opened up cap space. And then you had a lot of teams like, all right, well, it, like the Knicks, like the Knicks are like, well, we missed out on Kevin Durant. Let's go sign Tobias Harris, things like that. And where it's they decide to just resign their own guy and they paid a market value rate, which overinflated a solid, a good player, but not a great player. And I think that's what happened there. And all, that contract's probably not going to age well, and it's got so many more years on it compared to Griffin, where it's like, I'd rather have Griffin's current contract than Tobias Harris's contract easily.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And they got they're going to be paying Tobias Harris for a long time to be like the third or fourth option.
0: Well, th- it'll be interesting to see because I don't. I agree with people out there that I don't think a Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, is a real long term. Fit. And I think that no. comes up to, um, you know, if, if maybe Embiid gets really hurt and then you're screwed and mm-hmm. then you've got at least Simmons as your insurance. Which is a
1: real possibility. Right.
0: But if Embiid seems to be solid, you need to move Simmons. It just doesn't work. So maybe it's kind of like the whole break Griffin of we keep the asset and we can move him for something. So
1: yeah.
0: that's the thing is uh, 76ers, uh, they can tank. They also lead the lead again in attendance. Uh, Mavericks are number third in attendance which is bizarre but I think at the Pistons they can tank like the Hawks are worse in attendance than them but I think the Hawks are going to be a fun team to watch the next couple of years and I think that's what you can do is maybe if you're not going to be a great team and if you need to rebuild make it fun get some exciting young players in there who can help energize and be a building block long term
1: yeah yeah no I, I, I agree it's just at this point I don't know what Blake Griffin really gets you on the open market. I don't really know what Andre Drummond gets for you on the open market. Probably a late Um, first. uh, I would say maybe a late first first as a rental for Drummond. Yeah. And then Griffin maybe like a value for that.
0: I think Griffin you can probably get back a first maybe a couple seconds or maybe like a young developmental prospect. And so it kind of depends on what you're valuing down the road is are you thinking that you want to open up that cap space to take back – other bad contracts to get more assets like just because the timeline doesn't work out of if Detroit needs to develop young talent just because they've hit a ceiling Griffin's not gonna unless you're thinking you know Griffin should be your mentor guy I and I don't think that's where he's at in his career
1: yeah yeah no they need to maximize around him right now or 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 tear it down I I just think the team's gonna take the route of maximizing it I think they see a potential, you know, opening in the East. Really, I think we all do. Really, um, with Toronto losing Kawhi and and honestly, to me, all the teams on the top of the the East got worse. You know, Philly, I think they got worse. I think getting rid of Jimmy Butler is going to hurt them in the long run. I think Jimmy was their best player in the playoffs, um, and I don't. And maybe Ben Simmons actually ends up taking a three this season, but I don't. I don't see them. I don't see them improving, really. And they lost J.J. Redick. That's, I think that's another really big, thing, big loss for them. So I think the Pistons see an opportunity to make you know, a conference finals, make a second round, you know, do something to make the fan base feel like they're moving in the right direction.
0: Yeah, because I, I would agree that Milwaukee, they lost Brogdon, but he's a solid player and he wasn't even there for half the playoffs. But Milwaukee's number one. Toronto lost Kawhi. 76ers, they lost Redick. They lost Butler. They have a fit there that's questionable. Celtics, They lost Kyrie and Horford. They got Kemba. So, I mean, that's still a slight decline. The Pacers, I mean, they've got injury questions, and they lost both. Um, they got Brogdon, but he's not the same usage guy as Bogdanovich, who really carried the team. The Nets are without KD for a year, so they can still stay down there. The Magic stayed flat. So, yeah, it's really going to be interesting. I think you can make one move. Maybe you're not going to beat the Bucks, but you can make a really deep run if you do something. And... That, that's where I think the the question will be. So in your ideal, what's the best and worst case scenario for the point guard position with the Detroit?
1: I think best case scenario this year on, on unless we see some, you know, all-star, disgruntled all-star wanting out of a certain scenario or a certain place before the trade deadline, I see the best case scenario being riding it out this year with Reggie Jackson and Derrick Rose. I think that's as far as a one two tandem in the NBA, that's passable. That's good enough for right now. Uh, in the future, you're going to need to build around somebody. Um, I'm not really sure as to who that's going to be, if, it's that, if that's going to be in the draft. I haven't really looked at the point guards in the free agent market next year. But I think uh, it's that not that's good. Probably it's Fred Van
0: Vliet, game. and that's it.
1: Yeah, see, I wouldn't want to throw a bunch of money at Van Vliet either. Van Vliet's a nice player. I think he's one of those guys that is going to come back down to earth during the regular season and you'll see why, you know, he's just a nice player. He's not necessarily a guy you want to throw 20 million a season at. So I don't know if for the Pistons, it's the, the worst case scenario, I guess is either, you know, Rose or Jackson gets hurt and it derails our entire season once again, which is, I mean, still a very big possibility. Rose missed a lot of action last year. He missed 30 games. Jackson's missed time in in the past. He obviously played all eighty two last year, but if Tim Frazier's going to have to play a lot of minutes, I I don't I don't foresee that going very well necessarily. If he's if he has to play, you know, backup for twenty games, let's say, let's say Rose misses twenty games, you know, I think that could be the difference between a few wins here and there. And I think in the Eastern Conference, that really means a lot.
0: I think Frazier has probably the same potential as Bino Udry. And I think that's, you know, just a solid, even kill point guard, which I think Detroit just has not had after they've had an injury at one or two the last couple of years. So right. I, I think that the the loss there of one of those guys won't be drastic, but it will definitely cost them a few wins. So I think it it's really the, the point guard position to me is, I mean, outside of, you know, Griffin getting hurt or things like that, I, and I think Griffin, you know, he played all the games. Drummond's pretty durable. Griffin's durable. Um, wing hasn't been really a position of help or hindrance the last couple of years there's a billion shooting guards on this roster so it comes down to the point guards and the point guards either make this team you know a top four seed or we're out of the playoffs by a couple games because of injuries down the stretch or inefficient play and that's, that's a really scary thought just that there's so much uh, unpredictability with the most important position in the nba really
1: Yeah, and in basketball in general, I mean, basketball seems like the most predictable sport. We all thought before the last season that the Warriors, hands down, were winning the title, and then they didn't. You know, the possibilities are, especially with the Pistons. What's frustrating with them is the last few years is they they often get off to really good starts. They are like the end up being the third or fourth best team in the conference for the first month or two, and then. January hits, February hits, and then it's just, it's downhill. I'm really looking forward to seeing a team maybe stay a little more consistent, you know, be able to keep their head above water in January and February, you know, get to the trade deadline in position to be in the, at least I'd say in that six to eight range, anything below that is pretty disappointing. Um, and I like I said, I think Detroit got better this soft season, and I think a lot of the teams at the top of the East got worse. So I think there's a real opportunity there to, at the very least, maybe sniff home field, home court, I should say. Um, but I I would be I would be happy anywhere between six to eight at this point, really.
0: I'm hoping for a six four to six is kind of where my hopes are set on, just because I think the talent is there, mm. and if things break the right way that's reasonable mm-hmm. to expect and especially if they don't like just fall off down the stretch like they did last year that put them in the eighth seed i mean yeah they, they could have you know because that was you know uh one game separating them in brooklyn as the sixth seed so i mm-hmm. feel like if they're more right. consistent it'll be really fun so i'm looking forward to the season i think there's a lot of potential and a lot of different ways it can go eric thank you so much for coming on the show uh why don't you tell the listeners what you've got coming up on piston powered and your own projects and where they can find you
1: i write for piston powered Usually come out with articles every couple of weeks, but you know we got daily content. So I invite anyone that's you know interested in piston news and piston analysis to check out pistonpower.com. We got a great stable of writers. Uh, I also just released a podcast recently from my satire com- comedy podcast called From the Blanket Fort, uh, where we talk about uh, landlords, where we are, are landlords. So if you're interested in a uh, landlord content or or satire. Check that out from the blanket for it. And also, yeah, like I said, pistonpowered.com. And yeah, thanks for having me on, John. I appreciate it. Thank you so much,
0: Eric. And where can they find you on Twitter?
1: Oh, that's right. My at is the pizza roll, D
0: A pizza roll um, on Twitter. Well, thank you so much for coming on and spending your Thursday morning with me. And have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. And again, that was Eric Black graciously coming on to talk an hour of Pistons basketball. Definitely talked a little bit all over the board there. Uh, Because the point guard position, it really does come down to a lot of different ways it impacts the field. Just the passing, the spacing. And because it is one of the most important positions in the modern NBA, it's something that does impact all the different positions. And this roster, too, has a couple different guys who can play both the one and the two. And that'll impact a lot. And that's not even counting Blake Griffin's passing. He's not really a point forward, but he really could operate as one uh, if need be. So there's a lot of different things there, and I really hope something breaks well. Maybe there's a right trade there. Maybe Jordan Bone or Bruce Brown becomes a really reliable. Maybe not superstar. I don't quite see that potential in there, but a really good player. Uh, I think that's also a little doubtful, but I think there's a lot of different ways the season can break in a good way for Detroit especially with the point guard situation whether they make a trade whether you see growth or whether Rose just goes off for 50 point games and you know rubs it in Chicago's face that would be fantastic so thank you so much for listening remember you can find the three point at the three point on Twitter on Facebook like and share the post there we got a $20 giveaway coming out Monday I'm going to select one person who likes or follows the page on Twitter or Facebook and then shares the most recent podcast posts. If you do both of those things, you are entered into the drawing $20 free Amazon gift card. Instead of me spending money in advertising, I am just going to give the money straight to you guys and say that you guys, you know, can help me out. I really appreciate it. So thank you to Eric Black for coming on. Uh, next week we are going to talk piston shooting guards, Kennard, Brown a little bit more, and then Kyrie Thomas galloway the potential there uh and then maybe even svi because he kind of breaks as a two and three so thank you so much for listening and i will talk to you next time